Welcome to the Talk of the T-Town podcast, where we discuss all things track cycling. Broadcasting from the Valley Preferred Cycling Center, I'm your host and executive director, Joan Hanscom, along with my co-host, athletic director, Andy Lakatosh. Welcome to the Talk of the T-Town podcast. I'm Andy Lakatosh here with executive director, Joan Hanscom. Today we have Matt Rotherham, legendary rider of the year, track record holder, Commonwealth Games gold medalist, uh, para, Paralympic tandem driver, world champion. Are you world record holder as well, Matt, for the kilo? Yes. Hi, hi everyone. Yeah, um, yeah, we're world record both the 200 and kilo. So yeah, been going all right. All right. So welcome. Thank you for joining us. Andy, we should we UK? should add that Matt is on vacation. So he is not in the UK. He's on holiday. And for our listeners who can't see Matt, he's wearing an absolutely delightful Hawaiian shirt <laughs> and making me exceedingly jealous of uh, of his location. Um, I'm very sorry, but um, yeah, we, we, we've done a lot of a lot of hard training recently, and sort of last week was the end of big, a big training block for us on the tandem. So. Um, yeah, got a kind of felt like a well-deserved break at the end of that, and and then I guess get home Monday, hit the ground running, and get back to get back to the grind, and hopefully then set up for next year. Right on, right on. And Andy, you're in somewhere sunny as well, yes, calling in from uh, from delightful sunny SoCal. Yep, from from uh, San Pedro in the Los Angeles area, and you know the sun just came up, not too long ago so matt's you know sipping his his afternoon wine and i'm getting ready for for coffee anyway matt you've been to t-town a a bunch of times obviously you know you've you've stayed in my house with me so we're good friends and you know i know how much you love it but you know for the 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 listeners and our our local spectators and stuff that don't know the backstory you know you've been riding a very long time and have really progressed your way up you know you understand the value of watching compelling racing and it motivating someone to go all the way you know to a chris hoy jason kenny level of level of riding but you know talk about can you tell us about your start how you discovered cycling you know i know your brother rides was it a family sport for the whole family you know just a little bit about how you got into that and you know how you fell in love with riding yeah well um we're not actually a sort of traditional cycling family, but um, my, my dad had seen it, I don't know, at the Commonwealth Games in Manchester or sort of the 2004 um, Olympics. And and he wanted to get riding on the on the velodrome. So he essentially took took me down to, to have a watch of some local racing down there. And, you know, that sparked my sort of ambition to to give it a go and so I, I joined my joined my cycling club which I mean I'm now chairman of the cycling club I first started with um so started at Eastlands Velo you know 15 16 years ago now uh just as a beginner and, and really just went from there just progressed through the club and you know I was looking to progress through to to the under 16 national team and won um won medals at national championships and that kind of thing and and progress on to junior level and you know interest was sparked through through the sort of lo- the the local t-town style racing that, that we had for a while in manchester and you know so those those big friday nights that that people are used to in t-town we, we had we, we had a similar sort of thing going for a while in manchester called the revolution series and i remember going to those and and thinking this is this is exciting and and i, I wanted to sort of get into that myself so um yeah, I was lucky to progress through to junior to under twenty three level, and and yeah, you know everything went well. I was junior European champion in the in the kilo, which is my kind of main event, um, and yes. But then when when I got to sort of twenty, um, I hadn't made much progress for a while, so was removed from from the national program, which ultimately it brought me to T Town and that. I looked for ways to sort of keep keep my sort of cycling career going, and you know, I was lucky that you know the guys at T Town, you know, 
looked after me and gave me accommodation to to get there and entered me into races and and from then that you know being being out in T town and getting stuck in and I don't know just being part of that atmosphere really sparked my ambition again in in cycling and it it sort of helps me progress onto where I am now. It's super interesting um, just to touch on what you said because you were part of the the very famous British system, right? Like you you came up through through a, a, a track program that's pretty world-renowned um, and does a, an amazing job of development of athletes. Um, and of course, that's something that I think traditionally our federation has struggled with a bit. A bit. And I'd love to get your insights on, on what the value of that Devo pathway was. You said, you know, you kind of washed out at age 20, but it's an incredible pathway. Um, and it's one I think our federation is, is you know, would love to, to be able to, to replicate, but hasn't got the resource. Talk about that just a smidge. Yeah, well, it it's kind of, it starts off at the bottom with a, a large pool of riders and and it's, it's built on this pyramid style model where every step up the ladder, you know, gets more and more removed. And yeah, it, it, it does, the system in the UK does does work. And the, there's, there's times, I guess, around my time when I was on the under 23 development team that that things didn't work at, at that time. And there were other riders that, that didn't make it around the same time. But generally, it's a, it is a good system that um, sort of gets everybody involved at the lower level. They encourage you to do all different disciplines. And then as you, as you get a little bit older, you get towards 16, 17, they start to ask you to specialize in chosen discipline and that kind of thing. So it's not, it's not just you go in sprint straight away. It was always like build a, a well-rounded athlete as a young rider and and so that's hence I guess why when when I came to T-Town I was quite good at well I'll do it I'll do all the races from from sprint through to Madison I'll do all the length racing um because I guess that that base that you build throughout the sort of formative years as a cyclist you encouraged to do as much variation as possible and I think that's pretty key is that you you do a lot of different things and and then as you progress on you sort of pick which things suit you the best and hone in those skills but to start off with yeah you you do a little bit of everything and I think that seems to work yeah right on you know so so it's really interesting we had Carly McCulloch on the podcast or we, we did hers last week and you know she was similar to you in the sense of like showed up and like you got racing I'm I'm for it right put me in coach I'm I'm, I'm ready to go and she said that she really liked it and that doing like the Tuesday night scratch races and points races and stuff for her was really a tipping point because she'd only um, she'd only really been in this sprint type world for a long time. And then she'd been very much focused on like riding team sprint and her job in team sprint and riding the 500. And she kind of shied away from some of the sprint and Kieran because, you know, it was a little she just felt it was outside of her range. And so she started doing the bunch races in T-Town. She said it felt like it was sprint and Kieran racing just slowed down. So she had more time to think about it and that she really left here. And since then in the individual events has really been trending up because she's, uh, you know, just started to look at it in a different way and gain a different type of confidence. But, you know, I know for you, it's part that, and it's also part like you just love racing your bike and you love, you know, being under the lights on a Friday night, the energy, working with the crowd, you know, and that's something that's unique. And I'm sure high on your list of things that you love about T-Town. But one of the questions that I had was, you know, your first visit to T-Town coming off, getting getting booted from the national team program um, slash, you know, wanting to leave and then, you know, getting dropped into a, a dorm room in a college in the middle of a cornfield and riding yourself to the track, you know, anyway, T-Town's got a lot of elements that make it special and make it unique. But I was wondering that first visit, right. What stood out, what things are, you know, things stood out to you the most and really made it the most special that you were like, I'm coming back every chance I possibly can. Well, I, besides Tommy boy's pizza. 
Yeah, so there's things like Tommy Wise pizzas and, um, you know, floating down the river. Um, but no, um, what what really got me, it wasn't what brought me back, but when you were just talking then, it reminded me of what, what really got me stuck in straight away when you're coming around, you know, turn three, turn four, and you hear the bell going mid-race, and it's like, attention riders, attention riders, we've got a premium, $50 premium, and boom, you've got uh, things like that that, that that break things up, that, um, that I just loved. There was something different about it it was it was a show the announcers were energetic and made it it, it made it feel like um i don't know like a nascar it, made, it felt like nascar just cycling and, and the commentary was different to what we get here and and things like that and the music that was played was was just just hooked hooked me in really um and yeah, uh, but, but then in terms of coming back, it was it's just for, for one, you know, having good weather out there, you know, racing, uh, racing extreme heat sometimes is difficult, but um, generally, you know, we're able to to train hard. We've got the the derby ride on a Sunday that that you can get stuck into, and and different things like that. You can race a crit on a weekend, and and there's just so much going on. You know, obviously, you guys have got races Tuesday and Friday and so you ended up racing as part you know you didn't do much training you just race all the time and but that that just helps you progress and yeah I just just love the love the friends I made out there and the community of, of T-Town and and then yeah just having having that weekly or twice weekly racing to really get yourself stuck into and um you know, there's a bit of surprise money to win, which, which really just pushes you each week. Right, come on, let's let's get this, and and the the varied race program is is amazing as well. You know, I personally, you know, over the last few years of, you know, as I've been doing my kind of tandem riding now, I've I've not had the need to score UCI points, so I've not 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 needed to focus on those races so much so i prefer to come out when i can come and do things like madison cup and tandemonium obviously um that that are the sort of really fun races that that i think people still come out to watch because everyone likes coming to watch the tandems race and um so yes actually that does remind me you know when you say what what um what did i come back for or i think tandemonium and making those those memories that very first year um, and I think we may have got close to the track record that year, but you know, didn't break it then. That, things like that really just highlighted for me how how fun racing was. You know, I, I think a lot of what you're describing is well, two things. One, it, it is a it is a very summer campy type type thing, especially if you're staying in the dorms and stuff. There's just that routine of you know Tuesday Thursday you have your training sessions in the morning, racing Tuesday Friday, like you said the Derby, the training crit. There's all these. You almost don't need to have a really structured plan to come and get really great training and and racing in, even on, you know, the endurance side of things, which is something that makes it, you know, unique. But but the energy, you know, and we are very lucky in the sense of we have great ambiance that, you know, we're outside on a summer night and the lights, you know, lights are on, it's hot. And that's something that's that you can't get on an indoor track. You know, I've, I've often said when I come back from LA and being indoors all the time, like, man, I love to just be riding at sunset on the track and in the warmth, it's, it's great. But, you know, we also have a legacy of bringing spectators and having great racing. Uh, you know, how does that energy compared to the, compared to the energy that you would experience at the revolutions, right? Which are a, a very high caliber event, not run in a, or they weren't run in a weekly series type of format you know, but similarities and, and differences between the two in terms of energy or anything else that stands out to you? Yeah, well, you, I mean, you look at opening night and you, you turn up to the track and the, the fire service turned up and they put the crane out. The big flag. And draped this humongous American flag and the sun's just starting to set. You've got, you know, country music playing in the background and, and it, you just sort of, building the atmosphere and then someone comes up sings the national anthem you know that 
brings goosebumps because it just you can just feel the the, the atmosphere that um, I don't know everyone is excited and then you know it'd be like pro men to the ready area and you get up and it was always um, kickstart my heart you know by Motley Crue that that'd be like getting getting you ready to go you'd line up on the rail and then boom off you go racing starts and there was just there's just something straight away that that hooks you and I, I guess you know racing we have here is a little bit more clinical really you know the when, when i used to watch it as a kid the revolution series uh which we yeah it wasn't weekly but we tend to have maybe one one every two three weeks over the winter so it was it kind of got that short little burst of a little season um and when i first when i first went to watch that it was all about being um not necessarily an exhibition but it was it was the fastest riders in the world coming to put a show on you know there'd be chris huygens arnold tunan who you know they were both bitter rivals in the kilo and and then jason kenny and chris hoy would would do battle and things like that and you know they turn up in the sky plus hd kit that looked incredible and things like that you know so, but it was very clinical i guess and um we as a kid, you know, you'd, you'd turn up and you'd watch sprint races and, and then you'd see like 80 laps for a points race on the scoreboard. So you'd be like, oh, right, we're not doing this. And then you'd go off for a walk, go to the track center. And, you know, at that time you could, you could go into the center of the track and you can go get autographs from everybody and all the riders. And, and so there's just something you could get involved there. And, and so T-Town does have that same, that same thing of, of that fan interaction, which which is good, you know. I do do always like to hang around after racing, and you know, just to say hi. And 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 there's something really cool about that. Um, that that yeah, that that I, I saw growing up in in cycling. That that so so I guess this is a thing. T-Town brought back some of those fond memories I had of of growing up going to watch track cycling. Um, but yeah, uh, both both equally sort of professional events and. Yeah, and and then added to that, the, the weekly format in you have in Tea Town, where you know it's it's always one after the other. Next week, you know, you see finish Friday night, and then it's like, right, what's next week? And maybe you tra- change your training a little bit for what's coming up or, or whatever. Yeah, that's awesome. There was just always something to keep you excited. I think there's something to be said for that consistency of a season, right? Because it is that like it doesn't and a rider of the year competition and. It just all ties together in a really kind of beautiful three months of summertime thing that people do or four weeks if you're only here for the for the UCI block. But it is kind of magic when you have that just like camp tea town for the summer. Right. It's it's the thing for a whole three months of just getaway Mm. camp for bike racing. Exactly. And and for for us riders as well, obviously, unfortunately, sorry, there's there's only been one year that i've made it for the whole season so that was 2016 and and that brings rider of the year into play obviously um you, you sort of go racing and there's points every every race night to sort of try and win that rider of the year and that that for me was a a big draw as well there's there's a sort of extra thing to it and and so for me it takes the focus away a little bit from the big UCI stuff and you're there for rider of the year races, which I think is, is really cool as well. So popping back to the, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about your rider of the year and some of your T-Town accomplishments in, in, in just a second, but popping back to, you know, the T-Town versus revolution series, right? You know, because we've come a long way, like, cause I've known you for going on five plus years now. I've, I've seen you, kind of grow up and mature both as a rider and also in terms of how you view and understand the ecosystem, the fragile ecosystem that is cycling events, right? Like the revolution was this massive behemoth, like amazing thing that drew all these spectators. And yet somehow it just disappears, right? Effectively overnight and, you know, pretty much without warning, you know, and if you look historically through a lot of different tracks and a lot of different race series, that happens a lot, right? And and Joan knows this from, hmm. you know, all the events that she's promoted. To a certain extent, I would say a lot of cycling, the majority of cycling events, 
you basically have a life expectancy on them, right? Where you're like, we're going to run this every year for a couple of years and, you know, we're going to milk it for as long as we can. And eventually it's going to dissolve. And that's just the natural thing. And then something else takes its place and something else takes its place. But, you know, we're going on, this is our 45th year of racing and we still got something in, in COVID, right? Not the normal Friday night, but we still got something in, which is, I would have to assume a true rarity aside from like, you know, a classics or something like that that happens every year. And we're talking about a season, but you know, you've, you've grown and you definitely have a different perspective than say five years ago in terms of understanding what actually goes into it and what makes it possible. And some of that is for me yelling at you and saying like, Matt, this is, (laughs) this is why we do these things. And this is why you can't have your cake and eat it too. It's for the best of everybody. You know, but I was wondering if you could just share some of your insights, having been deep in both well, in multiple aspects of it, you know, what you see and, you know, kind of somehow your perspective has changed over time on that. Yeah, you're you're right. And I think the, the benefit that, you guys own or run the track and also then promote races so so you talk from a, a financial perspective like it's it, 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 i guess you're in a lucky position to be able to run things a little bit sort of well without the cost of an indoor velodrome for one and and that, so that is a real killer here and the thing is you can you can try to put events on and so we're obviously talking pre-covid at this point because of course um, uh, it's it is sad, and I don't know at what point you know cycling crowds will be will be back, especially indoors. But it, it's just that it is extortionate, and and the track. If you want to run a race, the the track hire cost doubles in Manchester, for example, I think, which is really counterproductive when you're trying to run an event to inspire kids. Because I. I I'm riding now because because of the events I went to as a kid because that's what inspired me and and kids don't get that now. Yes, you've got maybe six days you've started started up in the UK a little bit more and and so you have got that aspect, uh, but that's a very different style to Tea Town or Revolution and and that kind of thing. Um, and so we are losing that um, that draw for for young riders to to aspire to and yeah I, d- I don't know who the onus is on now I, I would like to I'd, I'd like to sort of start getting involved with with the not not with the running but with the, the sort of encouragement of, of organizations to sort of run things because um I can really see it with 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 my club you know we I don't know. I just I look at the look at the kids, and I'm like, what 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 are they what are they actually going to watch that that we had the the, the beauty of being able to go to, you know, when I was young, and and you know, tea time, you guys have that because you know the, the kids that get involved with the with the air products classes will will also then turn up on a Friday to watch, and so you get that you get both that introduction to to beginner classes to be able to get get into riding. And then you can also go and watch the pros on a Friday night, and and you can really, you can see clearly how you can go in T town from air products through to BRL, and then you might do the the Saturday racing, and then you get into Tuesdays, and then you get into Fridays, and and there's a clear pro- progression through the T town system really, which which I guess if if we should just be the you, national team, right? <laughs> now you're talking, Andy. Now you're talking. But but it is it's not surprising that you guys make have, have made have made great riders throughout throughout history and because there's that clear progression and I think Air Products have been involved for a number of years, haven't they? Yeah, their support's been tremendous and and you know like this year for example we have Kim Geist coaching the Team T Town kids who she was a product of Air Products right like Kim Geist got her start riding in Air Products. She's a multiple-time world champion, and now she's retired, and she's working with our kids. And, and what a life cycle, right? That's, that's, that's such an incredible ecosystem to have cultivated. She understands the program because she did the program, and now she's, she's giving back to it, which is, is really amazing. But it's that life cycle, right? You can say, oh, my gosh, she did this and became world champion. I want to do this. Absolutely. And and. You can see how it's possible in, in T-Town, you know, because 
you can you can genuinely start as a well you've got peewee peddlers before air products you know you can start at that young age and move just move on through the programs and it's relaxed and fun and unless it's like over oh i'm going to struggle with fahrenheit but over 100 degrees is really hot isn't it yes yeah, it's a little um, toasty. yeah so I, I know we've coached in over 100 and so that okay maybe that's not enjoyable for kids but the rest of the time it's great and you know they can they can get in and they can go watch friday nights and then eventually they can they can race it and you know i've, I've got friends out in t-town who who talk about that as a young as young kids they they all they wanted to do was race a friday night and and then when they did and then i was i was there with 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 one of my friends that you know eventually wins a race on a friday night and and you can see how he's he started as a, as a kid and and gone through and and then to winning on friday night which is what he's always aspired to so i think that that progression through t-town is is, is men yeah totally you know and and i think you hit on a to me, and I've always thought this, I think you touched on a key thing there, Matt, like, you know, the track, we own every aspect of, of that. We own the, we own everything from Peewees, which is where I actually got my start to air products, to BRL, to Saturdays, Tuesdays, Fridays, you know, we own that whole, that whole progression. So it's our own vested interest that it, you know, succeeds and that it happens. And that definitely makes it a lot better than, you know, like you said, especially in a, now, granted, you know, Manchester is an overwhelmingly busy venue because the national team books out, you know, 20 of the 24 hours of the day for training there. So there's not a whole lot of time to put on racing and it's obviously at at a premium, you know, but that makes it hard if the track's not the one putting on the racing or British cycling isn't putting on the racing. You know, like you said, they want to charge and make money off that track time, regardless of whether, you know, they don't have the, there's that X factor, like you said, of what, that's tough to quantify. We talk about development pathways and having this opportunity and that opportunity, but it's like, how about just the motivation to get up and actually come out to the track in hundred degree heat and ride, you know, you said like, it might not have been fun, but guess what? The kids all still came, right. They didn't stay home. So, you know, that's a testament to, to how fun it can be. And also I think another thing that we, we glossed over, didn't really point out is that not only can the spectators come and meet the riders, but the riders are doing the coaching. I've coached our products. Missy has coached our products. You've coached our products. Kim, Bobby Lee, right? Like all of these great athletes that have come through T-Town coached these programs, right? And like for us as athletes at the time, we're like, <laughs> I can't believe these kids are listening to us. But, you know, they they go on to to really value and and remember that. And I think that that plays a huge part in really having a love for the sport and not just, you know, it, it might generate better, like high level success, like an, an identification program that says you have talent, we're going to take you and we're going to fast track you to being junior world champ or, you know, being team sprint starter. And, and that's great in that respect, but, you know, do a lot of people come out of that pathway, loving the sport like you do and wanting to give back to it. You know, you say you want to get involved in in helping to get racing going in Manchester. Hey, come over and you can sit in the office with me and do my and do Joan and I's job any day of the week in the summer. And we'll show you like it's, you know, I, I used to think a lot too, like, man, there should be more prize money here. There should be more of this racing, more of that race. And then you actually get on the other side of the counter and you go, oh, there is no money to be made in this. And wow, the UCI schedule really fills up quick when you're trying to do every event in every discipline, you know, in every discipline, in every gender equally. It gets, mm -hmm. it, it definitely gets tricky. Um, but yeah, I definitely think you hit on the head with the fact that we, that we own that. But, you know, you've obviously gone on to, you know, win some really big stuff right a a tandem multiple tandem world records you know commonwealth games medals world championships and medals and then you got t-town rider of the year uh tandem record holder 
which I will take back. It's, you know, I think, I think, <laughs> I think it should only count. I think it should only count if you go ride a 104 like we did, because I know junior <laughs> girls that don't sprint on 104. So, you know, 6012 was a little bit of cheating, but I'm gonna let it slide as long as, as you get on the tandem with me, you know, 2021 or 2022. And, uh, you know, we have a fair crack at it together. But anyway, you know, in your personal, you know, ranking of of victories and and results and stuff and things that are memorable uh where does some of that t-town stuff fall amongst you know some of the other great things that you've you've accomplished yeah uh, the thing is for me um like i want to have a good career in cycling and and achieve as much as i can i guess but the the thing that i want to take take away at the end of my career is as many sort of memories as i can and so it's not for me in terms of ranking, which was more important. And, you know, obviously the world records are, are massive. And, you know, looking forward to Tokyo next year, that is the number one target. And, you know, ask, ask us in a year time, if, you know, hopefully we go there, take gold. Like I expect that would be the career highlight, but then that doesn't make it any less important to me than winning rider of the year or taking the track record on the tandem or, I don't know. I mean, there's been some good Madisons that, that are up there and it, it, it ranks high as far as I'm aware, because it's not it's not about what's most important. And um, it, it's it's what what I look back on the most as being the sort of fondest memories, ultimately. So winning Ride of the Year was, was pretty massive and it, it was nice to win it alongside Missy that same year. Um, and that for me was was pretty pretty cool and yeah i'll never forget that but at the same time yeah i mean we look at the gold coast commonwealth games and you know we went the fastest we've ever gone on the tandem there when we went like nine five for the 200 meters and the thing is like i can remember that where we we're coming down the home straight you know about to come into the final lap and the corner just approached ridiculously fast really, really quickly <laughs> really quickly you're coming down the home straight and then you're like oh no turn one <laughs> and, and that was that was throwing the bike down and we did this in training last week one of the coaches pushed us pushed us in with using the motorbike and pushed us up to speed and it turns out we were going nine five nine six pace then and you realize how how scary fast that is and that's becoming like sort of white knuckle ride at that point when it's it's like hit turn one and you're like Oh, turn it in and, and that for me is 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 really thrilling so whilst we won gold that day and took a world record that's not necessarily what what i took away from that what i took away from that was that feeling flying into turn one with at 76 77 kilometers an hour like oh, and the thrill of that, <laughs> I, I, I take that am i gonna make it out the other side <laughs> still still below the blue line let alone the red exactly. line right <laughs> And then, and then the standing ovation that came from the, the you know, and there was like six, oh, well, eight thousand people either, there right? as well. It was incredible. So yeah, I mean, we won gold, and I've got the medals hung up at home. But like, it was that 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 I'll take away as the fondest memory. And so, like, while you don't put that on a on a Palmares particularly, it's it, oh for me that's that's one of the biggest things. I've seen smaller things on people's people's resumes recently. <laughs> like, you know, I won this on a Tuesday night. You just look, you're like, what, what are, you, are you kidding? Like, come on. Like, all right, you, you won, you won an event on a Friday night. That that's great. But like, let's talk about world cups and stuff. Anyway, mm. what I wanted to, um, what I wanted to say like, like generally about that is I've often discussed this with friends where it's def, you know, we say all the time, like focus on the process and, and it's a, it's about the journey, not the destination. 100% my biggest, you know, wins in like my Pan Am games, uh, medal, or when I set the track record on the tandem, you know, I remember little aspects of, about the ride and just to put this all into perspective for people that are listening. Right. So my, my record on the tandem for the flying lap was a 17, three which at that time is basically an average speed of about 10.4. And now <clears throat> T-Town is obviously shallower, but it's also a bigger, longer track. And notoriously tandems are very difficult to hold below, say the red line. 
And we're also talking about tandems that were manufactured sometime between, you know, 1944 <laughs> and like 1995. So we're not talking about the same tandem that Matt goes nine five on. That's a whole, that's a whole different, different animal. But, you know, as a driver, what I could feel on the bikes is you'd steer down, then you could feel when the back rider would catch up like the back end of a tractor trailer getting into the lane with you and then it starts to pull you down track so you counterbalance up track and then you know you just start this weird oscillation and so my, my trick was always like get down there pin it quickly balance out the oscillation then hold on for dear life and you know 10 four speed on t-town on the tandem and of course we're not doing it every single week so this is not a normal thing for us it was absolutely pure shit terrifying so the concept of going 9.5, whether it's on a better bike or or a steeper track, to me is absolutely mind-blowing. <laughs> um, you know, so, so so kudos to you for 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 doing that. But then again, you know, uh, the Dutch guy is going 9.2 at sea level. So, mm-hmm. but, ooh, there's an interesting question, if you can divulge. Uh, gearing to go nine five on a tandem well that was essentially the biggest we the biggest gear we could find to be honest so we um we can only because of the way the tandem is spaced out at the back mm-hmm. like for our training wheels like it's spaced wider than a normal a normal bike wheel so it makes it hard um, to get a big which, ring on um <laughs> no it's it's to do with the sprockets on our training wheels we use normal sprockets but then the disc wheels and have not got that wide axle. So we have to, we've got our own manufactured tandem sprockets, which are like spaced oh, out. Okay. They only go down to 13. So unfortunately oh, we, can, we can't go. We, so our normal range is um, up to 64. So we would normally go 64, 13, which is 133, I think. Now, commie games, when we were like, you know we'd, we'd gone well that season we're like right this track is is super fast like the conditions were amazing the air was thin it was hot the track is literally the the nicest surface I've, I've ever ridden on so we were like right we're breaking that world record and also the sponsors of the commie the commonwealth games that year were longines or longinet the watch company they said if you break a world record you win a watch so we're like game on then (laughs) we're we're breaking a world record so shout out to the to the trinidad team because they um sort of ran around track center trying to find a a chain ring so i managed to get 65 from from those guys (laughs) so we, we we got the biggest gear we could and I don't know if we could go a 12 sprocket, we probably would, I guess, but um, yeah, that was big enough. Well, and like, you know, here's, here's what's mind blowing, you know, uh, obviously national teams are now calculating gears of other, te- of other riders just off of video and stuff like, like there are no secrets, right? So it's, it's funny when you ask someone a gear and they go, Oh, I can't tell you. It's like, really? Cause I could probably call six different people that'll tell me every gear you rode in every race last year. But, you know, we know that the Dutch guys on their individual bikes, are going 140 to 150 inch gears for their for their 200s which is you know tandem used to always be like okay this is where we go one cog smaller than we go on our individual bikes which is why you know we were on 104 when we did our track record versus say 96 back in 2007. (laughs) now we're talking 150 inch gear on an individual bike so if you applied that same thing you know you'd be on 165 if, if we were still using that same mentality, which I'm sure you would love, right? Like, like then we're talking about eight, nine, um, which is for, for driving the motor on the track. I can say nine, five is, is pushing it, right? Like that's, mm. that's quick. But the fastest I ever went was eight, six on my own, which, which I got off and I was shaking afterwards. And I got, I think it was Hugo from Canada timed at eight, nine, one time. And it's, it's absolutely terrifying. And now we're approaching those speeds on individual bikes, which is, mind-blowing to uh to to say the least but you know thanks for sharing that that insight's really <laughs> funny um you know so you were the stoker for the tandem record here and now you're a driver which yeah, one so um well the thing is you i mean in in great britain there's a there's a, a big history of tandem racing 
you know, so 30, 40 years ago, like the tandem national championships were were massive and, and it used to be a Commonwealth Games discipline, you know, able-bodied. And the thing is then, the, they always said you put you put your engine at the back and essentially the kind of brains at the front. Now, I'm not saying I'm, you know, I can't ride a bike or whatever, but... So you're saying I'm, Tom's the brains? And just so everybody knows, Matt set, the, Matt set the track record with his brother Tom, uh, who also came to T-Town and raced every year and is our defending rider of the year. You know, he gets two years now to claim he was rider of the year, but... Uh, you know, Tom's Tom's quite a character and we'll have him on here at some point. But if you really know Tom, that's a very troubling statement <laughs> that Tom is the is the brains and Matt is the engine. Uh, anyway, continue. <laughs> well, no, you're right. But the thing is, like, I'm, I'm built more of more Stoker sort of potential, like just the, uh, I don't know, I've got a bit more strength than Tom, for example. So the natural choice, it, you know, if we were racing tandem 30 years ago, I would, I would be the stoker. So that has always been my natural position. And, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm reigning individual, reigning able-bodied sprint tandem champion. Um, I raced that with one of my teammates, Helen. Um, so, but even then I was stoker. So she drove and, and I'm at the back. <laughs> and, and the thing is, you know, she's got both world records um, in, in the paracycling herself. So I know she can, she can ride yeah. the bike doing. She can ride the bike doing ten four. So the day we went nine five, or they made on ten five ten six. But you know, so I know that I know that she can handle the bike. So I was, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's nice being with a rider that you're confident to to go full gas. So it's like I don't know if we rode together whether I'd be able to go full gas or not. I'd be like, oh, uh, I'm not so sure. Oh come on, <laughs> come on. I'll, I'll tell you, we 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 tried. You know, the guy I rode with Ben Barczewski, one of my absolute best friends. He um. We tried the very first time because he'd driven tandem the year before. We tried where I rode in the back. We did about four laps, got off the track. He was like, All right, I want you to try. And he, he was instantly like, he's like, All right, I trust you. We're good. And really that's the that's the crux of the issue right there. Cause I rode with my with another great friend of mine, teammate Gideon Massey. Uh, a couple of years later. And he's, you know, considerably taller than me. And we were on a bike where he could see over me into the corner and, and he trusted me but it was one of those like i trust you to a point type thing right um so and and when you're really dialed in as a driver you know we we did a really hard effort we came in and, and i'm sitting there and i turned to him like hey were you looking in the corner he's like yeah why i'm like because i could feel you like subconsciously as i'm trying to get to the black line i i, I can feel you being like you know lackey a little bit higher, too, too low, too low. And he's like, you could really feel that? I said, yeah, no, I could feel that. And you really can, right? Like when you're dialed with your with your stoker or not dialed, it's uh, it's definitely a make or break thing. It takes a lot of trust there. Yeah, you're right. And this is the thing I'm, I'm now, you know, I've raced a number of years with, with Neil Fackey, um, who's got so much experience. And, and the thing is he having done it for so long he's got that intuition really so mm -hmm. you know he i mean he is only 60 odd kilos so he's considerably lighter than me as well so um if i say you don't notice him on the back that's no disrespect like you feel the power that he produces but yeah. in terms of when you go into the corners it's for me it's like riding an individual bike you just you point the bike and and we, we're sort of playing at the moment with head position and so we're both sort of tipping our head in a little bit or tipping it out or we, we sort of experimenting with the, with the way to go with that and but i think a good stoker is that one that that knows to relax knows to um tilt the head in slightly and and essentially just don't look like you know essentially if you can close your eyes and just pedal it's probably easier and i, I do sort of find in t-town i i'll have two different gears in, in, in my legs when I'm stoking there because I'll go into the corner and it'll be like, right, pedal smooth and just just keep the bike nice and low. And then you get to the straight. Here comes the turbo. And then he gets the corner again. It's like, okay, right, smooth, smooth, smooth. And then come out into the home straight. Boom, boom, boom. It was like, yeah, you, you have to balance, balance the effort a little bit more. Uh 
yeah no that's that's definitely you you pre, as a driver you appreciate you appreciate the smoothness uh so we're gonna take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back with more from matt rotherham Talk of the T-Town podcast is brought to you through the generous support of B. Braun Medical Incorporated. A global leader in infusion therapy and pain management, B. Braun develops, manufactures, and markets innovative medical products to the healthcare community. They are also strong believers in supporting the quality of life in the communities where their employees work and live. We here at the Velodrome have a special affinity for B. Braun because not only are they innovators in the medical field, but they like to race bikes. Every season, you can catch the B. Braun team competing in our corporate challenge, and man, does their team bring out the stoke. In 2019, they packed the stands with employees cheering for their team, and we can't wait to see them out on bikes again soon. Alrighty, welcome back to the Talk of the T-Town podcast. I'm Andy Lakatosh with Joan Hanscom here with Matt Rotherham. Uh, Matt, so we just talked about tandem, having a stoker, you know, like a smaller stoker versus a bigger stoker on the back and where you put your power and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a little bit personal here, right, because you and I are in the same club and we're in the like, you know, <laughs> bigger side of sprinters guys, right? And and sometimes that's just like, you know, we're, we're very, uh, very endowed to put on muscle right like you know i i eat chicken and go into the gym and it's like oh look there's there's four more pounds of muscle uh we also very much like you know wing night and tommy boys and all the other stuff that is absolutely delicious and you know i i know it's a you share the it's a struggle for us at times right like some people can just eat whatever they want and they stay super lean you know, and I know you've experienced in your national team some of what, you know, because you guys hold a very high standard for how, how lean you should be 24-7. And, you know, if you're not, then obviously you're you're just not serious enough. And there's definitely a healthy balance with that, right? Because, you know, I was always, even amongst, well, usually your friends are the worst, but, you know, amongst friends, it was like, you know, Lackey's a fat one on the team and stuff. And that's, it's it's difficult, right? Like that can really mess with your, motivation and i always wound up turning to food which didn't help the situation at all but you know if you're if you're comfortable with it you know how how do you because you seem to be you know like me in a in a much better kind of happier place in terms of accepting that and also being like you know this is this is where i'm at and this is how i work and this is what's healthy and good for me you know if you could share some of your yeah experiences with that i mean if we talk about the sort of the, the progression with the the academy at British Cycling. You know, when I was when I was on the program, there was there was not much focus on the training. Every every meeting I had was, oh, you need to lose weight. Oh, you need to lose weight. Oh, just right, so, uh, we'll do it. And it just wore it wore me down. It wasn't motivating. It wasn't you know. And at that time, I didn't see that that was the key to to my potential. And we didn't really look at anything else, any other bit of training. You know. It was just, yeah, you need to lose weight, you need to lose weight. And that didn't work for me. And, you know, I've, I've realized that, that yes, you know, it, we're, it's simple physics. If you have a higher power to weight ratio, you're more likely to go faster. So I use that now as motivation to, you know, be the right weight, you know, be the right weight for race day. Because cause I know that it can positively affect the performance and, and it takes time to, to learn that, I guess. And, and I think that's, that's kind of the way it's set up now. The riders do seem to learn a lot more about themselves and, you know, there's, there's, it's your choice if you want to lose weight or lift more in the gym, you, you can take ownership a little bit more. And, and, and yes, I, obviously I needed to take ownership at times, but it just the mechanisms weren't there to do that and recently yeah i've, I've realized that the the way to do that you find find an event that that you're focusing on and look at the weight that you are look at the target weight you want to be and and now a plan you know 
week on week what the progression needs to be to you know essentially i'm looking towards tokyo next year and and trying to be in the shape of my life and so i i, I have a better healthy relationship with with food and drink that that means you know when i go on holiday now that's time to relax a little bit more and then when you when it's time to train and you you're two three months away from a big goal then i'm more motivated to sort of knuckle down lose a little bit of weight and which is why it's lucky that tea town falls in the summer when we're away from <laughs> away from racing so you know when when it gets to you know half price appetizers at applebee's on a friday night after racing or uh, taco tuesday at 1760 or whatever um you know, you can let your hair down a little bit. We're also riding a lot more when we're there. And I guess, yeah, it falls at the right time. But as long as you then come back and it's like, right, that was the, the relaxation time. And then now it's serious training and knuckle down. And if you come at it from a healthier, healthier way, I think, I think it works better. And so, so yeah, we, we are lucky, you know, and I, I don't know which way I would have it. Would I rather be that type of rider that, can't put muscle on but at the same time doesn't also put much fat on or be in the position that i am where you know we can go in the gym we can eat well and put muscle on but then with that comes the potential fat gain and i think i'll take it as i am now i you know i've come come to not come to terms but i've, I've recognized how i best work within that sort of routine to to fluctuate throughout the year that maybe you put a couple of kilos here and you know the lockdown over this summer wasn't helpful in that perspective but since then you know like i say we set little goals weekly hit majority of them and got to this we had a little a little in-house race last week and i was at my sort of target weight and so i know i know i can trust myself when the time comes to to get in shape and and ultimately the main goal is tokyo next year and we want to go there and, and win gold, especially, you know, we, we want to accelerate that bike as, as fast as we can. So I, I know that if I could lose five kilos, say, that it has a potential increase in, in time. So um, I'm kind of excited, really, because I, I want to get to, you know, that, that ideal race weight and make me super fast. And, and hopefully we get the best performances out when when i'm sort of in that shape so yeah we'll we'll see and hopefully hopefully the year plans out in the right way to to hit all those targets i mean i think this is a super important conversation to have in our sport broadly speaking i mean i grew up in ballet where you know i had a a director of of the company i danced for who would put teacups in our clavicles to make sure we were thin enough you know, if you could hold a teacup in your clavicle, you were doing okay. Um, or if you could count, who could count the most bones in their sternum, right? It's, it was a, or if, if we can count the bones in your sternum, you're, you're doing all right. And then you translate into road cycling, in, in my case, where it is all same thing. It's power to weight ratios and, and eating disorders and, and for both men and women. And it's, we, we had a, I recorded yesterday with a sports psychologist talking about the same thing. And I think this notion of having a healthy approach to your body weight, having a healthy approach to how you're going to get there instead of, of really a disordered approach. It's rampant in our sport. Um, and it's really great to hear you say, both of you actually, because I know, Andy, how hard you've worked over the summer as well to pivot on that sort of approach mentally, you know, that we're, we're taking a healthier look at how to get there instead of just a pinch test and lose weight. You know, it's, it's important that we have that, oh, you know what, this is, a, this is an approach uh, for a goal like Tokyo, and we're going to get there. We're going to get there in a healthy way. Yeah. We're not going to become obsessive about it. And uh, and the, yeah, the thing is, I've I now want to, you know, go on that journey. And it's not like right, you know, you have a body, uh, you know, a skin pinch test next week. Like you better be in shape. It's like it's I now yeah. I ask for those sort of tests. So I go right. I would like this test here. I want you to challenge me on my weight at this time and. And I've worked out that's the best way for me. If I'm the one that goes to them, to my nutritionist and say, right, I want help with this, then it, it, I guess it's that, that ownership that I mentioned before that, that, that works better where I'm going to them and saying, I, I would like to do this, please help me. Not, oh yeah, you've got to do this. Yeah, uh, much healthier. Just, just doesn't work, yeah. And 
and I guess I had a gut challenge at that time that that I didn't want it enough, I guess, because I never wanted to lose the weight. And I'm not sure that that's, that's the case. I don't know, you know, I think once I got to the academy, I'd, I'd lost that that drive potentially. And, and, you know, there's certain reasons for that. But, um, you know, I didn't want to lose weight because I, I probably didn't, yeah. But now it's like, I know I know the benefits of it and then I have a he- healthier perspective on it. I ask for help when I need it and yeah. and that and I, I recognize when I'm struggling, I recognize when things are going well and and I just am more self-aware, I guess, yeah, of, of yeah. what's going on. So much healthier. So much healthier. You know, I you know, for for me personally it really comes down to to balance and just accepting accountability for my own actions, right? Like, you know, sometimes you do just need to let yourself have the pizza and you need to just be okay with it but you also need to hold yourself accountable when it's like oh that's the third pizza this week and i don't mean slice i mean entire pizza so there's some balance there but you know and it would be a whole separate discussion but you know kind of that that you know drilling it into you every single session about you know this is what you need to do and this is what you need to focus on as as a coach and as an athlete i see both sides of it in terms of like as a coach with someone who's in a program targeting x objective and you know, someone's missing a very key core concept, right? Whether it is doing all the training, getting to bed on time, not partying on the, on uh, not partying, you know, or selective partying, I'll say, so, uh, s- selective river floating, um, you know, whether it is food, <laughs> it's, it's really like, as a coach, you sit there and go, you said you want this. Why are you not doing it? Like, it's a very simple, like, just make the choice and do it, right? And really eating, and we'll have a, a nutritionist on here eventually that'll, that'll talk about a lot of that and what goes into that. But, you know, the eating part is just as important as the training, right? And the analogy that my nutritionist uses is, does training make you weaker or stronger? And you always, the default to is like, oh, it makes me stronger. It's training. No, no, no. How do you feel at the end of a session of 500s over unders, you know, threshold work? Well, I feel weak. Okay, weak. So what makes you stronger is what you do in the kitchen and what you do in the bedroom in terms of eating and and sleeping. And so, you know, your training is so detailed and so specific. Like, if you really want to operate at that level, it takes the ability to focus like that. And just like you need off days in training, you also need (laughs) off days nutritionally, right? It's just Mm -hmm. a matter of, you know, how far off center you actually wind up up going with that. Like I said, we, we could do a whole nother call and get way into the weeds the weeds on that we're we're approaching a good amount of time here so a few more questions that that i have just real quick is so 2021 obviously now 2021 was supposed to be your year to come and challenge me for rider of the year kieran cup and all that Mm -hmm. other stuff that's going to now have to be still still on tandem but you know beyond 2021 and you know the paralympics what's what's the what's the main objective for matt rotherham at this time or will you just see when you get there yeah i don't know and and the thing is um I'm interested ultimately just out of out of pure intrigue more than anything else in I get to Tokyo hopefully the best form of my whole life so then I would also like to then get on the solo and just see what see what I can do there um but I have no plans on that on, on that ultimately I mean we have the Commonwealth Games which uh which are kind of a major event for for us and they're in well, it's the Birmingham Commonwealth Games, but the cycling's going to be in London. But that'll be a pretty major event, and and so we come off, we come off Tokyo next year, and and we sort of into into commies and and Paris prep really. So ultimately, like I, I would love to build a legacy doing what I'm doing, you know, and and we we are starting to push the boundaries with with the sort of tandem riding and and the thing is um when you look back at the old tandem racing at world championships the tandems were always faster than they were body riders if the if the the, sorry the solo riders if the solo riders were doing 10-6 the tandems would go sort of 10-4 or something i think that's roughly what would happen at our nationals for example so tandems were always faster but over the last 10 15 years when we've had the tandem racing in in the Paralympics, there's been this sort of slight disparity, really, where the the solo riders are, 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 were sort of significantly faster. You know, whilst the tandems were going 102 for the kilo, like the you know Stefan Ninka's doing minute flat. So that 
it's like, whoa, what's going on there? But over the last three or four years, we've we've got to the point now where, you know, Commie Games, for example, we actually on the tandem qualified faster than what the what the what Matt Glazer did and who qualified fastest there. So that was pretty cool. Our world record in the tandem is faster than you know, is the fastest sea level kilo mm-hmm. out there. Which is a good place to be, and um, I want to I want to keep pushing that boundary. Ultimately, we're fig- we're figuring out the best ways to to go about that, and and I'm ex- I am genuinely excited for the next for the next few months of, of seeing where we go because we, we we are now in a position to really push the boundaries, and I'm really excited for that. I think what you got to do is you got to take the tandem and go to Moscow. There, mm-hmm. there. The, I mean, honestly, you'll, you'll just run out of gear. Right. But 333 banked at 45 degrees. I mean, I would guess you could drive a car on that at about 100 miles an hour without issue. I'd like to test that out personally. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> so. All right. In in the uh, appropriate for general consumption on a podcast, craziest T-Town story. Funniest. I'm- most oh, unbelievable I, I scenario mean, and it doesn't have to be in the track right like just from your experiences being in pencil pencil to to race what's the it's the craziest memory you have or funniest <laughs> i i love like the the pop you get pop bottle rockets in in america they're, they're banned <laughs> in the uk but uh, me and friends you know we'd be lighting them out of our hands and these silly things like that and I, I, but then I don't know, I don't know how crazy the float is, um, but the the podcast version, you know, we 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 blow up blow up airbeds and just we we park down the river and then we we so we park the cars down the down the river and then um, ride ride back and then we just pump some airbeds up, jump on the river and float just float the day down um, and things like that. I mean, that's not particularly crazy, but I mean, they they're the good little little extras that we that we don't do at the track and yeah just, just really good fun i guess good stuff yeah definitely it's, it's it's one of those whole experience things right like you just got to come and just you know soak it all in and and enjoy the whole thing so uh before we wrap up a couple of couple of rapid fire rapid fire questions and and jonah mar feel free to, to to jump in here i just have a few a few jotted down so all-time favorite race in T-Town? Uh, do you know what? One of my earliest best results was uh, one of the UCI Kieran's. Uh, I managed both semi-final finals to get Eddie Dawkins wheeled and I got, <laughs> I got, I got second. I, I only got second, but but that for me was like a, a thing like, right, I could do this. So That works, that yeah. works. Yeah, All that's right. legit. London six-day. A win at the London Six Day, a win at Tiki Town, like a big one, like Kieran Cup or whatever is the most memorable for you, or a win at the Revolution. Which one would you take if you could do any one today? You're asking me to choose between home. Oh and yeah, oh yeah. Second home. Home, yeah. Um, come on. You know, give me a Madison Cup win or something. Yeah, like, all something right. Really there we special, go. You know. All right. Uptown Espresso Bar or Bagel Bar? Bagel Bar. Okay, wing night yeah. or taco night? Do, do you even need me to? <laughs> I do, I do for, for for the general public, not for me. Uh, tavern, the tavern Monday night wing night. Um, we wing we night. there's in Cutstown. There's two there's two bars that do that do wing night, and and there's two separate. You know, half the riders go to I don't ba- Basin Street. Is it down at the bottom? Mm-hmm. Half go, half go there for wing night, and I don't think I've ever been. It's it's uh, the tavern, Cutstown Tavern, wing night. All right, and last one from me. Favorite T Town song that you hear, and you're like, that is T Town. Yeah, kickstart my heart. I already mentioned it when, and and there was, and recently we haven't we haven't done it, um, but the first two three years when I was going. You do the national anthem, and then it'd be attention pro men to the ready area, and then kicks out my heart gets going, and, <laughs> and yeah, ready for a, a, a ten lap scratch or something really short and sweet, and 
that got the goosebumps going absolutely Right. Joan and the fire questions. No, nah, I think those those are all good ones. We don't need to uh, we don't need to go into the Crocs or uh, Crocs or or Birkenstocks questions today. <laughs> Crocs or stocks? No, we're not going to do that this week. But yeah, those are awesome uh, answers, and we'll have to queue up the right playlist for you when you're here next, Matt, so you can you know fire yourself up, up accordingly. <laughs> that's that's all I hear from these guys is playlist, playlist, playlist every single but year it, when they come. It's yeah. atmosphere and, and the thing is, you know, you ask us what 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 brought us back, it was little things like that. You know, there's loads of songs that I listen to, you know, you know, half of Florida Georgia line would get played before racing or um you know Country Girl, I think is it, Luke Bryan or and things like that. Um that, that just remind us of, of Tea Town. So, yeah, we, we, the, the music's half of it, half of it, to be honest. And we'll take requests. We'll, we'll have the DJ take requests. Yeah. Yes, we'll, we'll, we'll have a DJ, which will make it con, considerably easier. So, all right. Uh, I think that wraps it up here for us. Thank you very much, Matt, for, you know, getting on and doing the podcast with us, especially on your holiday. Although I know talking about Tea Town is, is always a fun, fun experience for you. Uh, you know, yeah, that, that yeah. wraps it up for us. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening to talk with the T town podcast. Thank you to our sponsors and, uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Yes. Good luck in Tokyo, Matt. Thank you very much. Cool. Hope to see you guys soon. Bye-bye. This has been the talk of the T town podcast with hosts, Joan Hanscom and Andy Lakatosh. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode, brought to you by B. Braun Medical, Inc. Head on over to our website, thevelodrome.com, where you can check out the show notes and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. 